Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. This is Anthony. And this is James. Today's a very special day. We're doing one of our all-time favorite superhero movies, Man of Steel. Came out in 2013, directed by Zack Snyder. Screenplay by David S. Goyer. Story by Christopher Nolan and Goyer. Produced by Christopher Nolan, Emma Thomas, and Deborah Snyder. And this movie is a 7.0 on IMDb. 56% rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. Those critics can go take a goddamn hike. And then 75%... (laughs) Uh, audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And I love, love, love this film. I think it's one of the most underappreciated and probably the most unnecessarily disrespected superhero film ever made. Yeah, I think it got a lot of hate. It still does. And when I we watched it in prep for this, and I've already seen it maybe around 10 times. I really adore this film. Zack Snyder did something really new and refreshing with the superhero tale. You know, Superman was always the blue boy scout. The old movies are great, but, but we found out with Brian Singer's adaptation of Superman, Superman Returns, that... You know, that doesn't fit the vibe of the world anymore. You know, yeah, this it's is too it's not it's too recycled and yeah. it doesn't feel fresh anymore. Yeah, it's post nine eleven. You know, we've seen world events like this that are on massive scales, which are very disturbing. So I thought it was very smart of him to bring that kind of aesthetic to the superhero franchise of of Superman. And I just think that this is a visually stunning uh, the dynamic is the d- dynamic imagery. Zack Snyder is like a incredible visual filmmaker. Really Really exceptional cinematography in this film. I, I really adore it. Yeah, and Christopher Nolan coming on as a story creator with Goyer, who also helped him come up with the Batman saga, the first two films. They they wrote those together. And then um, I think he was originally there asking him to direct it, but I think he's too busy. He doesn't want to do another superhero besides Batman. So. He, I think he was doing Inception at the same time. Yeah, so he's doing yeah. his own thing. Uh, well, actually, it's 2013, so it's post Dark Knight Rises. Okay, gotcha. So he's um, doing Interstellar. So he's prep. busy. He's a busy yeah. guy. You know, he doesn't want to do all the superheroes in the DC comic world. But I love the fact that Nolan was so hands on with the story because he it's very similar to Batman Begins, the storytelling, where we're going backwards and forwards in time through Clark's journey or Kal El's journey, where we're seeing him pre Superman. But as uh, a drifter in the world, trying to hide from who he is in the world, trying to get closer to his roots and figure out where he's coming from, but also flashing back to his childhood, kind of all the steps that brought him to where he is right before he becomes Superman or or Kal-El becomes Superman. That's a great point. It is a lot like Batman Begins, which I think is an amazing first act for a movie. And Man of Steel does a great job with the flashbacks because the flashbacks are relevant to, you know, important conflicts that Clark is battling with inside of himself in terms of, who he is, what his identity is, what he's going to do in the future, what kind of man he's going to be, you know, the trials and tribulations of his childhood. Because, you know, the idea of like a kid being sprung with this kind of information being put on this planet with incredible power like this is, you know, it must be a very difficult situation for a person to go through. So I, I really love the backstory that we get of Clark through use of flashbacks. It's really, really great. And before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. You'll get awesome perks like our podcast schedule, personalized videos, Patreon shoutouts for top-tier patrons on once a month on the show, as well as weekly bonus episodes, which we post every Wednesday. We also just launched our podcast masterclass online course last week. So for anyone who wants to start a podcast or you have a podcast, you just want to figure out how to improve it, get the views that we're getting. Our 22 chapter 46 video lesson course will give you all the secrets behind what we do on a daily basis and all the things that we've learned on this 16 month journey we've been on. The link is podcastmasterclass.teachable.com or just go on our website, Raiders of Lost Podcast. Use the coupon code podcast 10 to get 10% off 
that podcast masterclass right now. You can also see all of our content, our merch on there. We have new beanies coming out, and we got we got put up some like long sleeve shirts or something for yeah. the winter time. Follow, subscribe wherever you're listening and tuning around the world. And thank you so much for the support. One of my favorite parts and aspects of the film is the approach to the world building, especially in terms of Krypton. Yeah, let's talk about Krypton. Yeah. Because what Snyder did, the way he approached this film, is he's like, let's just make it a sci-fi film. You know what I mean? I've, superhero films have never, have never really felt like science fiction-y. Even the old Superman films, you know, it still felt like comic booky. But he really doubled down on the idea that this guy is an alien. Yeah. He's from a different planet. And I just thought the world building of Krypton was exceptional. From these really crazy creatures to the, the kind of landscapes to, you know, what that atmosphere is like. Also, like... The, the world building in terms of the history of Krypton, the the mythology of different houses and, you know, their battle armor and the brilliant idea of saying that the symbol S was actually the, the symbol of his house, the, the house of L. I really think that their building of Krypton, the first 20 minutes of this movie is really sensational. Yeah, I love how much Zack makes and obviously Snyder, I mean, uh, Goyer <laughs> and Nolan make Clark feel like a, he's, a, he's an alien. Mm -hmm. You know, Kal-El is an alien on Earth. Rather than usually just feeling like a human being the whole time. I never thought of Superman as an alien in Until any I saw of the other movie. movies. Yeah, yeah, that's why I love about it. And the planet Krypton is the native world of Superman. It's named after the element Krypton. It's an incredibly harsh climate, a much stronger gravity than Earth. The sun is smaller and weaker compared to the one on Earth, which is why when Kal-El comes to Earth, his cells drink in the radiation of our larger, younger sun, and the atmosphere on Earth is much weaker, so that's why he's a super being on Earth. It's not because the codex is inside of him. It's mm -hmm. because of him being at Earth, and we have this sun. And so the thing with Krypton, it's also a, plan a planet that's much bigger than Earth, and that's what's causing its enormous gravitational force. And so if Superman, if Kal-El was on Krypton, he wouldn't be able to do the feats that he can do on Earth. Yeah, like when he's on the ship and they reduce the atmosphere to... At Kryptonian, and then he just becomes bound, and he can't break free from those binds. Yeah, I really love. Also, Russell Crowe is just awesome in the opening of this film, and this opening is great. It's a good twenty minutes. It's incredible because the the original opening is really good. Um, Marlon Brando played Jor El, and that was very surprising. Like he was most, the most respected actor alive, and he's doing a superhero movie. Was that supposed in the seventies? In the seventies, yeah. <laughs> so people people weren't sure about, it, but obviously when he signed on, people took it more seriously. And the design of that world is pretty cool, but just didn't quite feel realistic. Like a different planet. Yeah. Um, but with this, if everything like everything they put into this design, also like the way – and they also used uh, um, human history to help create this. Like the idea of uh, uh, – Clark is reading a book by Plato, and that Plato is about um, like a perfect republic in which um, the Greeks wanted to make this perfect utopian society where – um, people were bred for certain ideas and certain jobs, and you know, there someone was bred to do one thing and another person for another. Kind of so, like Gattaca. Yeah. So they brought that aspect of the socialization of that society into Krypton, and I really love that aspect of it. And you know, the amazing structural creations they do. I love the organic technology they have. It's 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 a brilliant brilliant way of showing it. They don't explain what it is. You know, there's just like this liquidish liquid metal type quality interacting with the characters as computer systems as you know smart devices i really love that technology they created for this film it was so original and it really looked amazing when jor-el was teaching cal about his history with that really fantastic basically animated short film essentially within the film of the liquid metal 
portraying the story of Krypton's fall. Which uh, Marvel definitely copied. <laughs> <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy 2. If, if, you know, if you know, you know. Guardians but, of the Galaxy 2. <laughs> but, this, but I love Krypton. I love the sequence. Honestly, the first time we saw this, we saw it in IMAX. Yes, we did. <laughs> Natick, Massachusetts, Jordan's Furniture IMAX. It, it was, was an great. amazing experience. Yeah. Because this movie had such an incredible trailer. And um, Oh, I, the, the trailers. Hold on. The trailers for this movie are some of the best ever. Yeah. I remember seeing them in theaters. The, like the first time I saw a Superman teaser trailer for Man of Steel, I was just awestruck. They by were it. teasing it so well. Yeah. They weren't showing you much, but like the ending shots of the trailers were his fists on the ground when yeah. he's learning how to fly during the flight scene and the shots of him as a child uh, with the cape on and stuff like that. Handheld, minimalist cinematography. Yeah. And each trailer, the two teasers, one was narrated by Kevin Costner's character, and then the other was narrated by a Russell Crowe's character. The two father figures. And then the final trailer for Man of Steel, I think, is one of the most epic trailers ever done. Yeah, and so back on Krypton, I love the concept of what's going on here with the codex and everything. Like, we're talking about how it's, like, controlled bloodlines where every person is bred for a purpose in the society. And the irony of Krypton is even though they're so much more superior intellectually, technologically, they still destroy themselves. And they they can't help it because they're... They've run out of natural resources, so they start mining the core, which Jor-El warned them about because he's the leading scientist of the planet. And so th- there's a ton of blatant sim- symbolo- symbology in this film. Obviously, one of the main ones, I think, is, is Kal-El or Clark Kent as a Jesus Christ-like figure, religious figure. And then also there's a symbolism here on Krypton of climate awareness. You know, you have a finite amount of resources on a planet, this planet— these people used all their resources up. They tapped into the core, ended up destroying their entire planet, self-destruction. And what do they do? What what General Zod does next is he decides to go take over another planet and basically make it a new home. Yeah, it's basically like uh, the fall of Rome in a lot of ways. And it's because this society has been this technolo- technologically advanced for thousands of years. Like we've had technology for like 100 years, whereas the Kryptonians have had the tech for thousands. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply thousands and thousands generations and generations like that ship that that kryptonian ship already on earth they said has been there for like eighteen thousand years and that was just like a one of the thousands of ships they sent out to look for other worlds so who knows i they, they don't say specifically but the kryptonian race could have been high highly advanced for maybe even like well, fifty thousand years they've been doing it for hundreds of thousands hundreds of, years. of thousands. Like hundred thousand years they've been sending out scouting ships to mm-hmm. the galaxy okay and trying to colonize so it. that's yeah an ancient civilization with using the resources on that planet so it had to run dry eventually yeah and i love Zack snyder i love his movies i love of his style. I think he's such an incredible director, and this is something I've never really seen before. I've never seen anything like this movie before. That's why, like, when we were in theaters for the first time seeing it, I was I cried like five times during this movie. I still I, yeah. cry every time I watch this movie. I teared up watching it. I don't care what anyone says. Just it's now. so emotional, this film. That's yeah. what's so amazing about like what superhero movie besides this makes you feel much so much emotionality, besides maybe Dark Knight in a way. Um, but I love Snyder's technique of the filmmaking in general in terms of a lot of handheld cinematography, lots of like these zooms and pans and, and quick handheld style. And I, I think some people they, they can't really 
understand why he did it like that. They think it's they just want like a static shot so you can see everything. Like the first time when Cal flies, like the flight scene, and it's it's epic, but like the camera's just like trying to find him. But I think it's genius because what it does is it makes it it brings realism to the story and it makes you feel like it makes you feel like you're the one filming this impossible to see object flying so fast that like you're trying to catch it on camera and that's what I think it brings so much more to the aspect of like it doesn't have to always be a perfect shot of Superman flying there are some great shots of him flying that you can see everything but like for him to be whizzing around like it's it makes sense that you shouldn't be able to see him it's so it makes the point of view subjective to the audience of the camera work and it's really excellent I I the first time I saw that I was like oh that's cool but now watching it over and over again I'm like okay it works really well for what he's trying to pull off like it reminded me of the first time I saw Star Trek the the JJ Abrams one it was he did very yeah, similar yeah, yeah. techniques like that and he did, he did that in the Force Awakens and he did a lot of the um Dutch angles. Yeah. That's so many Dutch angles in that movie. <laughs> and the lens flares. The, the lens, lens flares. flares. Yeah. J.J. Abrams' lens flares. He, he loves lens flares. Yeah. But the, it the, could be a completely dark room. There'd be a lens flare. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, the entire opening is just really beautiful cinematography, really great production design, excellent cast. I really love the costuming in this film. The, the costuming for the elders, like that council, really, really cool. And, you know, the, the body suits of armor that the warriors have. I think they did a really fantastic job of giving us something really unexpected for the design of the film. You know what I mean? We were This is not at all what I was walking into this. I was, like, completely blown away by the originality of the design of everything in Krypton. Yeah, I think two of the biggest strengths of this film are expanding, like, the meaning of Superman, expanding the meaning of the symbol to now it, it means hope. And it's very emotional, and it ties Cal back to his home, and it's the house of L. And also, what Snyder managed to do is he ground the the myth and the mythos of Superman into this very human story, despite him being an alien. He becomes a he becomes a human, you could say. He chooses humanity over Krypton because at the end of the film, he has the choice: he can either save Krypton, not destroy the ship. If he destroys that ship at the end, he's destroying Krypton. And he says they had their chance. Even though he hesitates for a second, Krypton has chance. I'm not going to let them destroy Earth and destroy humanity. Yeah, and he was had great influence from his two father figures. You know, Russell Crowe and Kevin Costner were, were really excellent in this film as Jor-El and then um, Jonathan. Jonathan Kent. And I Man, just do you, do you host a movie podcast <laughs> or what? <laughs> I really love both characters, and you know they both give Clark great amounts of advice. For for Jor-El, it's obviously as he he's already an adult when he's speaking and learning from Jor-El. But Jonathan Kent becomes very important to Cal and really helps him become the man he was always meant to be. Become because by the end of the film, you know he's still finding his way as Superman. He's he's I don't even think he's fully formed Superman by the end of the film. He's getting there, but he has the morality. He has the the humble quality, the modest nature, and the love for humanity. And he developed that because mainly because of his parents. You know Martha and Jonathan Kent instilled great values in him he was lucky he landed in kansas in the middle of nowhere yeah with these two modest farmers and he was raised by the right kind of people because if he wasn't you know you're looking at like imagine if he was like dudley dursley spoiled brad <laughs> he could have been a horrible villain like, and or if, if he was raised by the government as yeah, a science exactly experiment. and because superman if he was he could be the most horrible villain imaginable if he wanted to be you know what i mean he could he could enslave the planet if he wanted to he would he could just have complete dominance over every human being they wouldn't be able to stop him there'd be no way of like ever putting an end to him he could reign over the entire world without question but he chooses instead to sacrifice himself time and time again to save humanity yeah i love the scenes where he's going back to his childhood and 
the scenes with Martha where she's helping him control his powers because it seems like a puberty thing for him where he's like kind of getting older and it's kind of hitting him like hormonally the powers are coming to him like in that classroom it's all hitting him at once and he's got all the visions and and he's getting the power probably and he has the heat vision with his eyes that he can do and so he's just getting all these powers as a young child and he can't control it and it's making him go insane but his mother's there to help guide him on the path to controlling them focusing on one thing at a time and, and learning to control and harness his senses and then Jonathan is a more of a moral support where he's 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 he doesn't want Clark to reveal who he is to the world yet. He knows it's inevitable. He knows that Clark at some point is going to be discovered. Someone's going to find out who he, what he does or what he can do. And when they do, it's going to change the world. Like like religion is a huge theme in this film, and so he, he talks about the entire world will change once they discover what you can do. Like religiously, will will think of you as a god. Will will not be able to understand what you can do, and people will probably fear and reject you because of what you can do. And so and it's a really emotional scene when that tornado hits and Jonathan goes to save the dog always the dog stuck in the car damn dogs oh my god I love dog I'm glad he went to get the dog but damn Jonathan but um instead of letting his son save him which he easily could he tells him to stay under the underpass because he doesn't want him to re- reveal himself yet because he doesn't think humanity's ready to see what Clark can do and Clark's not ready either yeah. you know what I mean like they were having that argument in the back of the truck in, in the truck before the tornado even hit so I think he understood also that Clark still needed growing up to do and maturing to do because if the world found out the world wasn't ready for him and he wasn't ready for the world you know what I mean the double sided exposure yeah and the, ch- the childhood sequences are really good especially all the stages of it's like all stages of him becoming Superman I love the the school bus crash where you yeah. know obviously he's kind of gets bullied on as a kid from his whole childhood where they all think he's a freak because his mom won't let him play with other kids and now he's a little older he's like in middle school now and he saves the bus from all the kids drowning in the water in that pond and he pu- pulls the bus up but then you know it's impossible to hide this stuff forever especially in a place like Smallville it's a small town. You can't move every time something happens. And, you know, the parents are like, what's going on? Like, he's doing acts of God. Like, my son was in the bus with him. The the guy who turned bully and he's now like an uh, an IHOP manager, good for, <laughs> general manager, good for him. It's an awesome, it's an awesome restaurant. I love IHOP. I love IHOP. IHOP is delicious. <laughs> great pancakes. Really great food. Not even a sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> Just, guys, we recommend IHOP. <laughs> But but uh, when people see what he does, it kind of changes their enchi- entire lives because he went from being a bully to seeing Clark pull a bus out of out of a lake to now he's like wears glasses and is like a, a Boy Scout, you could say in a way, where he's changed his entire life because maybe he looks at Clark as a mes- uh, messianic figure in a way. Yeah, you, you can't help but not to. And also, uh, Clark, he, he, it's difficult to hide forever. And he's also he's struggling with that. He's also struggling with the fact that like he's not human, you know, and he's on this human planet, and he doesn't. For, and he, it's not until he's an adult that he discovers who he is, what his family is, where he came from, and so he's. I love the portrayal of Clark as this loner, as this guy who's lost, and well, he's not so so much as lost. I think he's he's just constantly moving to keep his ear to the ground. To, he's he's like trying to get yeah. closer to like things that could reveal who he is exactly. or, or like more mystery about where he's from. That's why he, I'm sure he's worked in bar after bar after bar just trying to overhear conversations until we finally see that scene in the bar in Canada where he overhears the Canadian military men talking about some crazy site that was discovered and then he infiltrates that area. So you can imagine he's just been traveling the world, you know, just getting going day by day trying to find some sign of his of his lineage yeah. on planet earth 
And I really love the scene where he finds out that he's an alien because it's right after the school crash and the and the, um, the parents is at their at the Clark res at the Kent residence like saying like oh this is crazy and then Jonathan goes to Clark who's on the on the pickup truck and Clark's like so upset about everything that's happening he doesn't understand why he is the way he is he thinks he's a freak and he asks his father did God do this to me did God make me a freak why would he do this to me and that's when Jonathan's like nah bro let me show you something cool let me show it's this is gonna be dope bro you want to see something sick <laughs> I got something down don't tell your mother don't, don't tell your mother. <laughs> yeah, don't tell your mom we're gonna go smoke a bowl just kidding <laughs> I'm gonna show you this this crazy spaceship that you arrived on you're an alien you're the answer to are we alone in the universe and this kid he looks just like Henry Cavill. Yeah, they, they, did they a good, cast they did it really job well. Casting. The young Clark and the teenage Clark, is, they did a good job with it. I love the tech of this. I love the ship that he came on and also that key that he has. And I just love how the symbol of his house is on everything. It's really fantastic. The design, production design of this film is really second to none. In the superhero world, it could be the most creative that we've ever seen. The suit, too, is exceptional. Yeah. I love, they, like, changed up the logo, the S a little bit, made it more modern, but also just the, the material and the fabric of the suit, it's so interesting. It looks almost organic in a way. And it's it seems, not 100% cotton anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Lululemon or anything like that. But it's, <laughs> it seems like, n not synthetic, but, like, an amazing material made from in Krypton. Yeah, and it has that texture to it. Like, the symbolic texture is, like, ingrained in the actual fabric of it. I, I think the suit, they knocked it out of the park. I know people weren't happy with the color blue of it, but who the hell cares? I mean, <laughs> just watch the movie, guys. Like, it's Kryptonian culture, and that's yeah. what they, they did. It's like an alien culture. What would their ships look like? What would their suits look like? They all wear onesies. Obviously, I think the ships a lot a lot of the time look like phallic symbols in a way. I think that <laughs> I think that Snyder did it on purpose for, like, a, a symbol of fertility or uh, oh yeah, yeah, uh, like this, spreading across yeah, the universe. Yeah, because he is the Codex now. Yeah, so yeah. not him, but necessarily, but in terms of Krypton colonizing the yeah. the galaxy or wanting to. Yeah, that's a great point because they they definitely do look like, especially the, the ship he arrives on. Well, in the ones that go into the Phantom Zone. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, for sure. <laughs> well, they gotta be tripods. I like the tripod aspect to it. Oh, not it those, reminds you of not world... those ones. The ones okay. that remember when they get each of the Zod and his crew. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They shoot yeah. up in their own little mini in their coffins. Yeah, the little their space coffins, little dildo <laughs> coffins going up in space. <laughs> <laughs> what they look like. <laughs> I think it's a blatant, blatant metaphor and symbol. And I think, I think he was referencing the World of Worlds with the tripod world builders and the main ship. It reminded oh, me of World of Worlds yeah, for sure. It did look a lot like because those were always tri even in the in the novel. There are tripods. Mm -hmm. I, I really love that. And uh, let's just I want to talk about Henry Cavill for a bit. I would love him more than to talk about <laughs> Henry Cavill. <laughs> it's like all I want to do. That's why we did this episode. <laughs> Top three all time for me. <laughs> It's like Ben, Henry, back and forth, one and two. <laughs> Who's three? Uh, Gosling. Gosling. Yeah. <laughs> Hunky guys. I like what I like. <laughs> so I think Henry Cavill was perfectly cast as Kal-El. I, I, I love Christopher Reeves. I'm sure he would have done a great job if it was in a contemporary film for sure. But I just, for me, the, when I see Cavill as Clark Kent and as Superman, I just think that's perfect. They, it's, he's just right for it. And ironically... Henry Cavill was the second in line to play Superman in Brandon Routh's Superman, Superman Returns. But thank God that did not work out yeah. because I think they chose Brandon Routh because he looked a lot. He reminded you of Christopher Reeve, I think. Um, he didn't have the acting chops, obviously. I mean, could, I, no offense, but like he said, he was in one of the biggest movies ever made and he still he, – he didn't get, didn't get that Superman, many roles. You're Superman. It's like yeah. you're being, it's like you're Batman. Yeah, he still didn't get any roles. So I, he doesn't have the acting chops to be like a, a great leading man. I think they chose him mainly because of his look for anything. But Cavill, 
really showed in this film he's a super talented guy because he was in Immortals. He was also in that TV show, the TV series on Showtime with Jonathan Rice Myers. I can't remember what it's oh, called. Oh, like, yeah, I know the, what you're talking the, about. The, the, uh, the somethings. Yeah. Yeah, the something. <laughs> the, no, the, yeah, tutors. the tutors. The tutors, thank Get, you. I just need a second to access the IMDb in my brain. That's great. Great yeah, job. I got it. You're completely right. And also, he was in Counting Monte Cristo mm-hmm. as uh, as the the Count's son, uh, as um the villain's son. And he's a very talented guy. And he, I don't think he ever really had the leading role. Like we said, he worked for years trying to make it in Hollywood. And and he was going to be Bond. He was second for yeah, Bond. He kept getting second in line for these big roles because he clearly had the talent, but he just wasn't quite right for those directors and then zach cast him as kal-el and you know there's a reason why the guy exploded and is one of the biggest actors working today he is just phenomenal i mean he's in mission impossible i would not be surprised if he's the next james bond he's perfect for that i love everything the guy does and i think he's the most perfect superman we could have ever got we we didn't deserve this man as superman <laughs> and it's it's so sad that they literally yeah. just threw him away like a piece of trash like the movies you could have made with this guy for another decade i wish they had a, a trilogy of superman movies. i mean whatever if, if the justice league if you don't think it worked out which i think it ended up doing with Zack snyder's justice league was amazing but obviously the other one was terrible and they scratched the whole thing but like you still could have got another superman movie out of henry cavill at least and made something great and i love cavill in this role because he really wanted to embody superman or like what a superhuman would look like physically so he he did a crazy six months of training at jim jones two and, and a half he, that's the guy who he trained the spartans he trains all of Zack Snyder's yeah, um, yeah. actors and stuff so yes the spartans from 300 they yeah. worked at jim jones uh two and a half hours of working out every day for six months refused to take steroids and Henry Cavill also represents the hairy chest that game. I love it. Thank you so much, Henry Cavill, uh, for, for normalizing body hair on men in big blockbuster films because as half Italian with some brown sugar myself, I was so glad to see that, like the biggest superhero in the world with some chest hair. Yeah. Let's go. Stop waxing your chest, everybody. Yeah. Don't wax it, guys. It's there for a reason. Girls, girls and guys like it. It's there People, for a reason. They like it. Trust me. <laughs> well, if you don't end up being a 40-year-old virgin, yeah. you'll find out. <laughs> uh, one of these days. You'll, you'll find out. But, <laughs> but Cavill is amazing in this movie. <laughs> and I love Kal-El. I love the fact that this movie's not called Superman. I love that it's called Man of Steel. And really, the Superman name is just thrown in the, like, the third act of the film. That's what they're calling him now. And, Cav- and Kal-El... Clark is hiding from who he is. He he doesn't want to know if he he doesn't know if he wants to be this hero to humanity yet. He also doesn't even want to know if he wants to be a part of humanity at this point either because he's conflicted with once he finds out about the Kryptonians and where he's from, he's very excited about that. You know, it's something he's been searching for his entire life since he was since he found out he was an alien, but like does he want to be Kryptonian or does he want to be a human on Earth or or, or an Earthling? And Cavill plays it really well because you know I know people complain this movie isn't that funny and it doesn't have that much lighthearted humor. It's like, but it, it seems realistic. Like this guy is isolated. You know, he's he's supposed to, he can't be like a stand-up comedian making sarcastic jokes the whole it's time. Not Joss Whedon script. Yeah, it's not just This isn't Marvel. I mean, it works better this way because you know he's the sole being of his kind on this planet. He doesn't fit in anywhere, and so I love how understated he is. I I love how you know isolated he is. How vulnerable he is. How 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 minimal the the performance is. It's a guy who just is always by himself, and I think they did a really fantastic job portraying that. I think Cavill knocked it out of the park. Yeah, and and Clark, while he's on this journey, you know, odd jobs drifting, trying to get closer to anything he can find about where he's from, 
He sees the good in humanity, for example, when he's on the fishing boat and the guy saves him from that giant crate from falling down on his on his head, the the the, uh, the cage. And he's like, you would have gotten squashed, man. Be careful where you're going. And Cavill's like, nah, that would be fine. That would be fine. But still, Clark's like, this guy sacrificed himself to save me. He thinks I would have died. Obviously, I wouldn't have. But then he also sees the bad in humanity. You know, the, the bar scene with the douchebag, with the truck driver, the lumber, who's hauling the lumber, and he's making fun of, of Clark, and he pours his beer all over him. I love when he tries to push yeah. Clark and he just flies backwards. I think this movie is very funny. Yeah, yeah. It, it is funny. It, yeah. it doesn't have to, dude. You don't have to be. You, you, need, be... you need. You need. Uh, you need to laugh every ten minutes. Every five minutes. No, it's every two minutes. Like, you, you, it's okay. We don't, we don't need to be laughing the whole time. It's okay. So he sees the good and bad in humanity, and I think that's why he's always conflicted with: Do I want to be a part of this? When I fi- and when I eventually find where I'm from, Kryptonians, if there's still more out there, when General Zod comes here, do I want to join that world? Or do I want to stay here on Earth? I haven't decided yet. Exactly. It's it's really terrific. There's, I mean, it's great writing. It's really mature themes. Like, they tackled it really well. It's not simple, you know? And I think, you know, Cavill was perfect in this role. And Jor-El, played by Russell Crowe, I think them two together had a lot of chemistry together. I think they were excellent as father and son. And ironically, there's this crazy story. Yeah, you want to tell your favorite story? Yeah, it's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> and Henry Cavill met Russell Crowe when he was a little kid. And then Russell Crowe was filming this film, Proof of Life, in, in the UK. And Henry Cavill was like 10, 11 year old. And he was, they filmed at his school. And so the, the film asked a bunch of kids, hey, we need rugby players for like this rugby scene going on in the background. And so Cavill was one of the kids who was picked to play on these two fake rugby teams for the movie. And while on set, whenever he got a chance, like this little Henry Cavill kept walking up to Russell Crowe. Hey, Mr. Uh, Hello, you, Mr. Crow. Hey, uh, how do I be an actor, Mr. Crow? <laughs> he kept asking Crow like tips about acting and how he got into it because this young boy was very interested in being an actor. And they, they Russell Crowe was being nice apparently and would like answer his questions and stuff. And when the film was wrapped in that area, Russell Crowe was like, "Yeah, oh, I think I'm gonna send that kid a gift." So he made a gift basket for the little kid. Uh, put a bunch of like treats and stuff in it, and he also put a, f- a framed photo Sounds of Gladiator. Like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> some dog bones. I love treats. <laughs> okay, chocolates and cookies <laughs> and fruit. It was a fruit basket. <laughs> it was an edible arrangement. <laughs> and so he put a framed photo of Gladiator in it, and he wrote a note on the framed photo. It said. Every journey begins with a single step, and he signed it like Russell Crowe. I'm a badass. <laughs> <laughs> and so Henry Cavill, for the next 10 years, he kept this framed photo of Gladiator by his bedside table, and he struggled to be an actor for years. He was he actually moved back and forth between the UK and England a few times because he— UK and England? UK and America a few <laughs> times because he would run out of money. So yeah, it was like six months yeah. in England at bartending, R- making money, run then out back of money, to LA. yeah, and not getting any parts, auditioning over and over again, and then every time he felt down, he would just look at the photo of Gladiator for inspiration and remember the line that Russell Crowe wrote in it, and then, ironically, he was cast as Cal El, and then Russell Crowe was cast as Jor El, and they were working out together and prep for the film at the gym by the same trainer, and Russell Crowe kept going to that trainer like. And he would be like, do I know this guy? Have I ever met him before? <laughs> and the trainer would be like, uh, yeah, because <laughs> he knew the story. Yeah. And then eventually Henry Cavill revealed the story to Russell Crowe. 
And Russell Crowe's like, oh, I think I, I remember you. And so it's an amazing story. They eventually played father and son. Yeah. So crazy. Yeah, I remember we, we talked about that in, on a TikTok clip, and people in the comments were like, Henry Cavill wasn't an actor. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> he was just an extra in the background. That's just, this is what happens. Yeah. Films go to shoot somewhere. Like, hey, can we get a bunch of kids from the school to play in the it's background? It's not just the five lead actors. He's, he's not credited. He's just a freaking kid in the background of a shot. <laughs> That's actually his credit. Freaking kid in the background <laughs> of a shot. <laughs> his IMDb, first credit, freaking kid. <laughs> so I just really love that story, and it really came full circle for Cavill in an amazing way. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really amazing. And, and you know, Hen- uh, Henry Cavill is just like the epitome of never giving up on your dream. I mean, yeah. to, to work six months, then fly across the world, then not get work for six months, then do the same thing for, for multiple years, and to finally, finally start getting roles, and then you... You almost get James Bond, and then you almost get this other big part, and then you're like, I want to be Superman. That's what I'm holding out for. Mm-hmm. And you get Superman. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's great. He's, he's born to play Superman. He I really mean, is. The jawline is perfect. The he's, hair is He's just, like 6'4". It's, it's, like it, it's perfect. Yeah. I don't think he's 6'4". He's like 6'1". Or six, like well, six feet. He's, he's taller than 6 feet, so yeah. yeah, Superman needs to be tall. So on a Tinder profile, he'd be getting swiped right the whole time. Oh, yeah. And every, <laughs> every app. <laughs> I should just make a Tinder profile with Henry Cavill photos. Yeah, it's called catfishing. It won't work out when you meet up for them with coffee. They're like, who are you? I'm just taking a break off. <laughs> taking a break. <laughs> from working out yeah. and having a jawline? Yeah, <laughs> yeah my, my jawline, it just went away. I don't know what happened. I stopped chewing gum. <laughs> should I, I should probably start chewing gum again. You know, people actually believe that if you chew gum, like you'll have a jawline. It's not how, there, it's not how seen, skeletons work. There's like this new like silicone thing you could chew on, like a ball. It's that you such BS. It's you, like, you can strengthen muscles in your jaw and your face, but you yeah. can't build bones yeah. in there. It's <laughs> like you get, you get a ripped jawline. It's not skeletal. you Jawline's what you born with what you got. Sorry. The last year and a half has put a lot of stress and fatigue on the world, and we think it's so important to start putting your mental health as a top priority in your life. And I love how that's been normalized now. We have a new sponsor. We're so happy to be working with BetterHelp which is an online professional therapy and mental health service. This is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Use the link betterhelp.com slash Raiders and get 10% off your counseling. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Raiders. Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? What interferes with your happiness? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapists who are specialized in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, and trauma. Anything you share is confidential. It's affordable. You can message your therapist anytime. You don't have to limit yourself to only professionals in your zip code that you find on Google Maps. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener of Raiders of the Lost podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, betterhelp.com slash Raiders. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Raiders. And if you're watching on YouTube or on social media, you may have noticed that Anthony and I have some brand new laptops on our desk. These are the LG 17-inch Gram Ultra Lightweight Laptops. The cool thing about them is their 16 by 10 aspect ratio, which means more vertical space, which is great for editing and doing notes, but also phenomenal for watching movies and TV, which we've been doing a lot of the last two months on these new displays. I literally binged the heck out of Succession the last three weeks, watched it all on my show, on my LG Graham, I watched Rear Window on this the other night. It looked incredible. The screens are sensational. And now that we've had them for two and a half months, I'm not going back to anything else, I swear. Not to mention they are shockingly light. 
And we'll put links to both the 16-inch and 17-inch models of the LG Gram laptops in the bio of our YouTube video of this episode. So go check those out. And thank you so much to LG for sponsoring the show and for these amazing laptops. So I want to dive into one of my favorite aspects of this film, and that's the music. Hans Zimmer. Hans did it again. He's a man. This, so this, man. Is one of, this is one of my most listened to scores. I listen to this. This might be my most listened to school score because I like to listen to it while I work, mm-hmm. while I write, and while I work out. It's it's rare to find a score that I like doing all three to, and like it can pump me up if I need to get a like a good lift in. It can make me concentrate if I need to write something and make me you know help me enjoy passing the time if I'm like editing for a long while. So I think what Hans did is really sensational. This score just still blows me away to this day. Yeah, I still listen to it regularly. Actually, the original Sketchbook Man of Steel yeah. song, which is like 24 minutes long, that's always my my first song I listen to at the gym when I'm warming up like and stretching everything. That's my go-to. That gets me amped up, and like I pretend like I'm Kal-El, <laughs> like, let's go. But the score is incredible, and it's, it's so meditative at times and reflective, but also the bombastic uh, percussions of this film that the of the brass, score that he made, yeah. and especially I know when he recorded, he went a little over. He he did the, he the, a lot of drums. he did the most. He had yeah. he recorded what ten drummers at, at the, the same, same time, time yeah. including Pharrell was one of the drummers yeah. too. So he went above and beyond with making the score. I think, but you know, it's a Superman score. Why wouldn't you do some crazy stuff like that? And it's it's incredible, and it's hard. I mean, John Williams' original Superman theme is one of the most iconic musical themes of all time. It's really so memorable and so loved by film fans. How do you top that? And it must it must just, even for Hans, be a daunting ca- task to follow that up. But he created something really unique, something wholly his own. It, his the, the main theme for Superman is so inspiring, so filled with hope. When, even when I was watching the trailers before the film came out, and, and it's, it's rare to use the music from films, but they started using a lot of Hans' music in the films that he scored in the trailers, and now it's become normal. But like you would watch the trailer and listen to his music and you're like, oh my God, this is like so amazing and so inspiring. And on top of that, like I love the use of the steel guitar that he used for Kal-El's theme because he didn't use – he used plenty of normal electric guitar. But the steel guitar is like this wooden guitar that lies flat and it has just a couple of strings across. I think maybe actually just one string and you play it with this like metal cylinder you put on your finger and you wob- you wave it and you – you you affect it that way physically, and that changes the sound, the pitch, and the warping of it. Kind of like a, a what do you call the, the thing on the guitar? The the, the the fret? No, the the lever thing that makes the the whammy. The whammy bar. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like using the whammy <laughs> bar. It changes the sound of the note you're playing and it distorts it. Yeah, it distorts it. Thank you. And so that is, I love that quality of the music. Yeah, and I love General Zod's theme. It's oh, so yeah. bad. Dun, dun, dun. It's pretty amazing. I, I, and I think I'm sure he had confidence to pull it off because, you know, how do you top Danny Elfman's theme from Batman? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you do that? That's an incredible score and iconic, obviously, for 20 years of the character and the comic book and the hero. And then now you're going to do Man of Steel. Like, holy crap. But I think with he did Batman Begins, which is one of my all time favorite scores. The Dark Knight is an incredible score. It's very creative and experimental. And I think this one is also very experimental, too, because, you know, he's trying to relay also the tone of. Cal being an alien, and there are aliens in this film, and you know the Kryptonians are coming from a different world, and so we got to make it feel like an alien film. Also, he did he went down on the elect, uh, electronics and synth. He didn't use that much in this film, and I like that he used it for uh, a bit of Zod's theme, but I really like how he mainly stuck to 
percussion strings and brass for the most part. Yeah. I think it worked out really well. It, Add like this traditional quality to it, this like classical element to yeah. it. But it's, it's such a great range of, of sounds. And I mean, at some points it's so calm and, and relaxing and again, very reflective and meditative. But then it's just the most bombastic percussion heavy action sequences with music you'll ever hear. And he's got a great way of playing the theme in different ways. Like when you hear it just with that quiet piano one note at a time it's really touching and then when you hear it with the full orchestra playing it just is amps you up and it's so exciting i he's just a, a miracle worker with themes he just yeah. i don't know how he does it yeah sometimes the most simplistic moments of a song are the most powerful i mean yeah. that's why i think like things like nirvana and their music it's so simple and, like, yeah it's just bar chords the whole time for the most part for like their most popular songs like smells like teen spirit but like yeah weezer too right something yeah it's just it's pretty easy to play anyone can do it anyone can make that kind of music but it's like doing it in all the right space how and you having do the it. right beats and it's yeah. there's something that hans can tap into emotionally with people and i think that that's one of the most the biggest parts of the film that makes it such an emotional experience because again for like 30 minutes in this film i have like tears like almost coming out of my eyes and i just can't explain why yeah it's so emotional and hans like we've said we've talked about him so many times he finds a way of tapping Tapping into the emotional elements of the film um, touches the personal nature of the characters in a deep way with his music, deeply resonant, deeply affecting to the audience. And he really lifts his films up no, like no one else does. Like his films fly because of his music. Oh, wow. That was great. Thanks. Like Like flight in this film. <laughs> in, in Kal -El How flies. amazing is that scene? Oh, the, the first flight flight? scene? Yeah, because Cal's awesome. And yeah. then, like, t what's it like if Superman learns how to fly? It's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, I love it. Because he learns, he fails, and he picks himself back up. What do we learn? Why do we fall, Master Wayne? Yeah, and I love, like, the imagery. Like, he he crashes into a mountain and tears it apart. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Zach did a great job of, especially with the battles in this scene uh, between the Kryptonians, how, of how it's like they're gods on Earth. And you never really saw that with superheroes, how they can affect... Like, it matter how, like, if Kal-El crashes into a mountain, the mountain's going to break apart, not him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I really love the elements of the physicality of the fighting and how, you know, these, these Kryptonians are tearing apart concrete like it's nothing and are jumping onto jets like they're just made of plastic. And I love how he portrayed the strength of Kryptonians as opposed to Earthlings and just the physical matter of Earth itself. Yeah. Let's talk more about kal and Kryptonians in a little bit, but let's head into our intermission. How's Great that idea. sound? Great idea. And we'll start with our movie quote competition, and I have one from a fan and one from me. This one is from Braden Bish. Oh, and Senator, just one more thing. Love the suit. <laughs> good impression. That was good lector. <laughs> Love the suit. <laughs> That's Hannibal Lecter. This is good. I like it. In what film? Sounds of the Lambs. Shh. All right, this is this is a little tougher one. Okay. Sometimes I doubt your commitment to Sparkle Moon. No, oh, my, I said it wrong. Sometimes I doubt your commitment to Sparkle Motion. Sparkle Motion. What's that? Sometimes I. Is that a band in a movie? No, it's not a band. I, mean, I don't know. Let me say it again. Sometimes I doubt your commitment to Sparkle Motion. I don't know. Donnie Darko. So that's the his sisters in that dance team. Oh, and so yeah, yeah. The, the mother that's the yeah. head of the dance team is like says that to Donnie's mom. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. It's very Good obscure. One. Very obscure. <laughs> All right, I have one from uh, Kevin. Kevin Paul. The problem is not the problem. The problem is your attitude about the problem. Do you understand? Sounds really familiar. Say it again. The problem is not the problem. The problem is your attitude about the problem. Do you understand? Is that Irish? I'm trying to do British. It's awful. 
<laughs> it's British. Um, I don't know. Jack Sparrow, Pirates of the Caribbean. Ah, oh, it's pretty good. Yeah. Here's mine. <clears throat> we got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> Oh man, that's so good. <laughs> I'll give everyone a moment. Say, say it again for the fans. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> Dumb and dumber. Yep. <laughs> that's a good one. Pretty bird. Pretty bird. Pretty bird. Pretty bird. Pretty bird. <laughs> man, All right. What a classic. <laughs> Guess this movie release year 300. 300 came out in 2006. Nice. Yes. Got it. IMAX, baby. <laughs> Definitely saw that IMAX. <laughs> Here's mine. Movie release year, Batman Forever. 1997? 95. Uh, close. All right. Uh, movie pop quiz time. Actually, real quick on IMAX, we were just with our cousin last night. He's in town visiting. And he's like, he's talking about like, it's funny how like all the people hate on you for liking IMAX and like think you're getting paid all the time to say it. And it's like you guys have been talking about IMAX since you were like 12 years old. Like <laughs> you guys would always go to IMAX and like when see you at Thanksgiving, you'd be like, "Oh, did you? We went to IMAX to see this." Like you guys have been obsessed with this since childhood. It's true. It's true. It's a fact. It's not. It's, there's a reason why we love it. All right, movie pop quiz time. What video game was Henry Cavill playing when he missed Zack Snyder's call that he got the role of Kal El? I believe it was World of Warcraft. Correcto. Yes. <laughs> okay. Here's my pop quiz. Who directed Me, Myself, and Irene? Oh, man. I clearly did. I, Jim, I went Jim Carrey today. That's a that's a good question. Who did direct that movie? Me, Myself, and Irene. Um, fuck. Um, who, 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 who made that? <laughs> I have no idea. Um, is it the Fairley brothers? Yeah. One of the, both yeah, of them? Both of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. the Farley brothers. That was a straight up guess. Yeah. Straight up guess. All right. Uh, who we got for haters? We don't have that. I didn't see that many haters this week. We got any unsubscribes? Uh, we got it, yeah. Liam Davis wrote in our debate on Marvel vs. Disney, haven't finished the video yet, but if Anthony slash Marvel doesn't win, then I'm unsubscribed. <laughs> That's it. We didn't have that many haters today. I actually, it was like, a, it was nice not having to see terrible comments this week. Honestly, I actually, I have a hater. Hold on, let me pull up real quick. It's from a video we did of, I think, just a video. Sometimes the music's a little loud because you know some songs ramp up when we're posting a clip. Yeah. Here we go. It was on the town clip. I was going to give this, I was going to give this account a follow, but the music was too loud, and I wrote, "Imagine being upset about the volume of a TikTok video." <laughs> and that's that's what the guy is. I actually I do have a real hater. Oh, where is it? Oh, I can't remember. I blocked him, but <laughs> but he said he's actually hated on us before with the same comment. He said these guys just pass them off themselves off as movie critics, but all they are is IMDb movie trivia fanatics, and that we something about us being like um, hacks. TikTok is a marketing yeah. tool, everybody. Yeah, so. Yeah, so I just blocked him. And honestly, it's it's shocking to me every week how often I have to block people. I block someone. We only, we only block the people who leave like 20 comments on videos. Yeah, and, and they're, all, they're all just aggressive. Yeah, the very nasty ones. We don't want people like that on our page, yeah. like looking at our stuff. Like, get a life, bro. All right, we have an amazing five-star review for our supporter of the week from MJB Fidel, 1994. 
I'm sorry, but did someone say best podcast ever? That was in all caps. Because that's exactly what it is. I have been looking for something to fuel my love for films. And holy crap, do these guys hit the market every freaking time. The attention to detail, fun facts, information, and callback to previous videos to correct small mistakes. Just everything. These two twins go above and beyond anything I could have ever expected. There's a reason people fall in love with films and the history behind it. And the Raiders are making sure more fans are made each day. I can't thank you both enough for the weekly joy and smiles you guys bring to me and my friends. Keep up the good work and may the force be with you both. Bankhead from Dallas. P.S. Any chance Kung Pu, Kung Pao, Enter the Fist <laughs> is in the future. That'd that's, be fun. That's a great movie. We should do that's just really like funny. a... Like, uh, just like absurd uh, comedies, yeah, like fun martial arts comedies or yeah. just like ridiculous ironic comedies because yeah. that, that's a super funny movie. That's funny. The first time I saw that movie, I was, yeah, we were dying. <laughs> that was a good time. Thanks for the review, pal. Yeah, that was, that that was, was so, awesome. That was so sweet. All right, on this day in film history, today is November 22nd. In 1995, Toy Story was released. And happy birthday to Jamie Lee Curtis, Mark Ruffalo, Scarlett Johansson, and Mass Mickelson. I actually looked up. It's not Mads. It's Mass. Mass? He pronounces it Mass. Oh, wow. But he doesn't mind if people say Mads. Hmm. And then my streaming recommendation is The Blair Witch Project, which is on Amazon Prime. And this started all the found footage, entire genre of horror. It kind of changed horror for a while. Yeah, you can't, it's, it's great. My streaming recommendation is Crazy Stupid Love on Amazon Prime. A great romantic comedy. I like that movie. It's a really good movie. Steve and, and Ryan and yeah, Emma. It's yeah. a great cast. It's awesome. They have great chemistry. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's pretty funny. Yeah, they've been in three movies together. Well, her, him and Carell, you mean? Yeah, Steve Carell. Yeah, they're great together. All right, let's get back into some Kryptonians and Kal-El. And I want to stay on Kal-El for a second because he's such a complex person and character. Because like you. <laughs> is that a compliment? Or... <laughs> because Kal's, Kal's very special even to Kryptonians because he's the first natural birth in centuries. And so the Kryptonian society, for hundreds of years, they've been controlled bloodlines of creating people specific for the society. What they're bred genetically with specific bloodlines to do a specific task in the society. So uh, Jor-El was bred to be a scientist. And then General Zod was bred to be a military leader and to also to protect the Codex. That's basically what he was created for. He's a warrior. And Kal-El was the first natural birth in centuries. And what Ka- what Jor-El did when he was um, sending Kal-El away to safety from to avoid the explosion of Krypton is he implemented the Codex of the entire Kryptonian society into Cal's DNA and cells. And again, this doesn't give him superhuman strength. It's him being on Earth is what gives him that. And so the Codex is an ancient Kryptonian artifact that decodes the genetic makeup of the artificially incubated babies on Earth. It translates the child's genetic attributes before his or her birth. Zod was born to be a soldier as dictated by the Codex, for example. And it's just billions of years or billions of, of Kryptonians code, DNA code is inside the Codex. And that's what's that's what's allowed them to create babies in like a farm like system like this. I would imagine they do it specifically based on house too. Yeah, like a house L baby is getting made or a house Zod baby is getting made. And that's why Jor says, "Who will choose the bloodline?" Exactly. You? So I think that they 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 branch it up based on different houses and family names. So you can assume there'd be incredible prejudice if Zod got control of the Codex. Yeah, I'm sure on I'm, I'm bet on Krypton there are prejudices like in you know like Harry Potter, not maybe not that extreme, but. Certain bloodlines maybe are more pure than other bloodlines, so maybe there is prejudice yeah, about I bet, that I bet discrimination. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so I love the debate of Cal being raised on Earth as a Kryptonian alien. What causes him to be the way he is? Is it nature versus nurture? Is is his 
upbringing in Kansas by these very humble middle class, this couple, Jonathan and Martha, is that what helps him become a humble person and a humble earthling, a Kryptonian on earth and, and want to join the human race rather than him being born to do something. Maybe the natural birth is also why he's able to be a good person rather than be what he was programmed to do. He gets to the choice of free will, yeah. which is the first time in centuries for a Kryptonian. And he also, I think he naturally has the same qualities as his mother and father. They're very noble people, very honorable people. And Jor-El seems to be like a very humble leader on Krypton. Yeah, but I think there's a major question that people have about Jor-El and Lara, why they don't go with Cal. It seems like they could make a ship if they have access to this mm -hmm. technology and just all three of them go on a merry-go-way to go chill on Earth, the three of them, and be superheroes. <laughs> but as... <laughs> be the Incredibles. The super family, yeah. <laughs> As Jor-El tells Kal-El, you know, when they first meet inside the spaceship, um, the scouting ship, he tells him, and you know, Kal asks this question, he tells him their fates, Lara and Jor-El's fates were tied to Krypton and its destruction because they were born in this bloodline design society system ways of Krypton. And in order for Krypton to start over from afresh and become a new society, they have to eliminate all traces of that society. So even Jor-El and Lara have to stay and tie their fate to the destruction of their planet. Yeah, you know, and they that's the reason why they birthed Kal-El naturally. They wanted – it was a symbol. He's a symbol also in Krypton of getting back to the roots and not following this preordained society anymore. So Because it's, it's what important. led to the destruction of the planet. Exactly. Is that the ironic downfall of their of their race. Fall of Rome, same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like a society hits its peak, and even though, again, technologically more advanced by Earth, they still end up d d destroying themselves. And Jor-El is vital to Kal-El's development because he, more than anyone, helps him understand what he is, who he is, what his powers are, why he is the way he is, because... Jonathan and Martha obviously instill humanity in him and goodness in him, but he's still he needs to know what he is. And so Jorel serves that purpose in the story in a great way, you know, telling him the origin story of his birth of Krypton's fall. Galal Origins. <laughs> That's basically what this is. Galal Origins. <laughs> and I I really love Russell Crowe in this movie. He's awesome. I wish they actually were in talks to make a series a krypton series about cal uh, following jor-el uh, like a prequel series but it never panned out because this film i guess didn't cross a billion dollars so it wasn't big enough of a hit it made like 680 million yeah. but i guess that's pretty low nowadays yeah. i mean they were like i think they were going like we need we need marvel money for every movie which was a mistake because a lot it's a lot marvel, of money the marvel movies the avengers was the, was the first one to get a billion mm -hmm. you know and that all was, what, the 2009, no, 2010, 11, something like that. But the other ones, they were all 500, 600, 400 millions. So they weren't, they weren't giant hits either. Mm -hmm. All right, let's get some more characters in here because we've been talking about Kal El mostly. Let's talk about how about Lois Lane, who I think Amy Adams does an amazing job bringing this character to life in this film. And I think it's my favorite interpretation of the character. And I love Lois because she's just like hard nosed, gets the job done. She's very, very. Drinks whiskey. She's very strong in this film. And, like, I love the line where, where we learn who she is in her first scene where she's talking to the colonel. She's like, if we're done measuring dicks, can you show me what you found? Like, she's like, no bullshit. Just show me. I don't give a f And she, she's a great investigative journalist because she's sent to that military base just to get, you know, basic coverage of the entire base. But she sneaks onto the ship. You know, she's very, very intelligent. Um, she's not afraid to enter the unknown. 
And because of her ability, she's able to sneak onto a Kryptonian ship. And I, I love when she gets onto the ship and her, her and Kal-El's first meeting is really excellent. Yeah, because she gets that severe wound and he cauterizes it with her eyes. And so she's, she's the first person besides the Kents who finds out that there's like this super being on Earth. And she wants to tell the story about him on the Daily Planet with her article and like, and then Perry White, played by Lawrence Fishburne, who's awesome in this movie as well, is like, we can't, I'm not running a story about aliens on are Earth. You like, are you high? Are you kidding me, Lois? You might have, you might have hallucinated half of this. <laughs> <laughs> but then she leaks it on the uh, with the other guy. But um, Lois is a great character because once she leaks that and she drops it eventually, now she's on this mission to track down Clark. She doesn't know who this guy is, but she wants to find out who he is. And we show her kind of doing the opposite of what Clark was doing, where he's trying to get away from everybody. Now she's, like, tracking him, retracing his steps, and leads her to his hometown and his home in Smallville. Yeah, and but because she speaks with Kal-El and he tells her the story of why his father died, and she understands, like, the importance and the gravity of the situation. You know what I mean? That he's trying to make her understand, like, it's not. It might not be a good idea to expose me to the world. You know, what I mean, this might be a mistake. And yeah. Perry even says that great line. He's like, "Do you do you have any idea what would happen if people found out that there was someone like this living on the planet? And it would be. It would change everything." And Jonathan was right. It it did change anything. Everything. Yeah. And Diane Lane is exceptional as Martha Kent. She's a phenomenal actress. I love to see her in this film. Yeah. And then who else? We have Harry Lennox as General Swanwick, who I wish we—I I love watching the movie now because I'm like, it's the Martian Manhunter. Yes, yeah, the alien it's guy. An alien. He's an alien too, but he's playing the part so well of an alien. <laughs> he, he fooled me. Christopher Maloney is awesome as Colonel Hardy. Um, and then we have the, the Kryptonians. Great, the Kryptonians. And Michael Shannon as General Zod is such an excellent villain. He's great. So awesome. Yeah. He's so good in this movie. We've been talking about Michael Shannon just outside of the pocket. Since Take Shelter. Yeah, for years we've been a huge fan of this yeah. guy. Take Shelter was the first movie I saw with him in it. Revolutionary like, Road. Like, well, not, not the first movie I saw with him in, but like where I saw his as a solo lead. Yeah. And I was like, my yeah. God, what an actor this guy is. Yeah, and he was nominated for Revolutionary Road, which was his first big breakout role. And he was in a crazy movie called Bug with Ashley Judd. He was in a bunch of these small independent films. And then Man of Steel was his big breakout. Now he's been in a ton of stuff. Everyone knows how talented he is. And I think Zod is an excellent villain. He's a villain that it's not so much that you empathize with him, but you understand his intentions and his motivations. Like you really understand his motivations. Like yeah. He's he's living for his purpose. His purpose is to ensure the survival of Krypton. And he's like he'll do anything to make sure that happens. And he's he doesn't care about this other planet full of beings that he does he's never met before that aren't Kryptonians. He's like, I screw you guys. I'm trying to save my people. And you can really understand that. Yeah, and that's why he leads that coup or the attempted coup on Krypton before the destruction of the planet, and then he gets sentenced and er, banished to the Phantom Zone with him and his henchmen. And then it's a very elaborate prison. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> but they should have been like, the planet's about to explode. Should we just tie him up on like? Yeah, just, just just put him on the ground. Like just yeah, tie him up. Like, like Jor-El is. I think he's pretty right that the the planet's gonna explode in like a week, bro. <laughs> <laughs> because then once the the planet explodes, they're released from their prison. Uh, I just think the Kryptonian leadership were so blinded by themselves. I think. I think yeah. it's a. I think some people look at it as a loophole, but I think it's it's done on purpose to show the futility of politics at this level. How 
silly it is when you're doing political things when your planet's shaking and about to explode and you're yeah. still doing the whole charade of politics. Exactly. We're all sick of the charade. Yeah. <laughs> Krypton was like, oh my God, we're, we're sick of this too. <laughs> and I, But I love how this movie, it's basically like an alien invasion movie. You yeah. know what I mean? It's not something that I was expecting walking into a superhero film. It's scary it's, when they show up. Yeah, it's really awesome. And Zack Snyder did a great job. Like these invading forces and it felt dangerous and that first initial fight when when the Kryptonians show up and they bat, they go to Martha's farm and then kal battles them and they just battle in the Smallville town center. It is absolutely pulse-pounding and so epic, so much fire, <laughs> so <laughs> much explosions. And like I said earlier, I love how Snyder portrayed the effect that these beings have on this planet, on the minerals, on just like every kind of object from a car to concrete to steel it's um, it's incredible yeah, i really love when they show up and they're in the atmosphere yeah. and they're and then zod accesses every single screen on the yeah. planet that was the viral marketing yeah, campaign i remember, I remember that? Like stuff that was like the that. first thing they ever released they're they releasing little things like yeah. that and he's speaking to the entire planet and he opens up with like you are not alone which is an ambiguous message is like are they here to kill us are they here to like give us information or like tang out or like do they want coffee like what's going on <laughs> you are not alone it's like what does that mean? Like, obviously now we're not alone, but like this giant <laughs> ship is going to blow my face off. Like, I'm kind of scared. <laughs> but it's great when they're, when he reveals that someone on your planet is an alien. He's from my world and we want him and you guys have been sheltering him, but we're going to give you 24 hours to sh bring him to he us. He owes me money. <laughs> <laughs> he owes me rent. I need my rent. <laughs> he hasn't rent? paid me for fantasy football yet. Rent? <laughs> 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 and then I love how that reporter who Lois leaked the story to is like, oh, Lois knows this guy. But it's so it's so interesting where like the fate of the world is in Lois Lane's hands. Like yeah. to like tell us who is this guy is, who is the superhero, who is Kal-El, yeah. who they're talking about. It's a really interesting story. And I really like the, the scene with the priest because Kal-El doesn't know what to do. And I, I love the symbolism. You know, he's it's right on the nose where he's standing in front of the the what do you call it? stained glass mirror stained glass window of jesus right behind him like obviously really <laughs> korean jesus <laughs> korean jesus <laughs> he's busy doing korean shit <laughs> 21 jump street <laughs> ice cube it's so funny i love the symbolism is is there's just great mature themes in filmmaking in this film that you don't see in superhero often yeah superhero movies very often because who can cal who can cal talk to he, he, he can only talk to his mother and i guess Lois, but she's so far away. But like, he wants to try to confess that he needs to. I think he wants to tell somebody that he's the person. Like, oh, that's me. They want me. What do I do? And I love the advice that the priest, because he's like, I'm sure if the priest is like super excited, like, oh, he's here. He's talking to me. I'll, I gotta give him some good advice. I hope I don't mess this up. Help, please help me, Holy Spirit. <laughs> like, if I needed some help, God, help me out right now. And then um, he gives the great advice where uh, sometimes you have to take a leap of faith, and the trust part comes later because. Jonathan was always worried about trust and it, whether or not the human race could trust Clark Kent once they find out who he was or whether Clark could trust the human race. He didn't know if he could trust them at all. But he, but I think it's great advice from the priest where he says, take the leap of faith, let the trust part come later on. And that's what he does. And he surrenders himself, not to Zod like Lois said, Jess, but he surrenders himself to humanity. Yeah. Like G. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry. Okay, that's a good one. And I really love the the marketing campaign. They one of the first posters they ever showed was a poster of Cal Al Superman in handcuffs with soldiers walking in a hallway. And just from that image that piqued so much curiosity from people like why is superman in handcuffs with soldiers like what is this what's happening what's going on in this movie i think it was really great they had a great marketing campaign i think yeah yeah and i think that clark as he's learning to trust humanity he also i'm I'm sure he feels some sort of responsibility for being the reason why this alien race is here attacking the planet and trying to destroy the planet and kill all the human beings because you know if it wasn't for him turning on the ship and setting up accidentally setting off that beacon they would have never been able to find him so i think for him part of the journey of choosing humanity is accepting responsibility for his actions that a lot of people died because he was there and he led them there i actually want to talk about the destruction and there's actually a few things there like there are a few major problems that always come up with people about this film so smallville battle and then the metropolis so yeah both the smallville battle so much destruction, so many explosions, and then the the mass destruction in the city. What's the city called? Metropolis. Metropolis. In Metropolis, and from the the world engine, and a lot of people were very unsettled by the mass destruction in this film, and and all these buildings crashing, and clearly all these people who were dying in these moments. But I think that Zack Snyder was trying to show like the power that these beings being on Earth would have, and that you never really saw, and was never really portrayed of like you know if this godlike beings were fighting in the city like everything would be like falling like paper and cardboard to to them because that's how powerful they are and i think that it really was a disturbing i think a lot of people when they watch a superhero movie they don't want to feel disturbed they don't want to feel like deep tragedy and they don't want to see that but I think that Zach was trying to be like, you know, this is the real. I built a real world in this movie. I want it to feel like it, it's the world we live in, and you know, there is bad things happen every day. And I think he wanted to show that. And it's like, it, you can't do every epic battle in an empty airport. You know what I mean? Or New York in Avengers, yeah. and no, no human, no, no human casualties. Yeah, exactly. So a think- giant alien race coming to kill everybody. Like realistically, if an army like that did come to Earth. That entire city would be killed. Yeah, so the thing with those movies is the stakes aren't really there of real loss. But with this movie, the stakes seem higher than any other film because you're actually seeing this destruction and the cost of this battle. And you really feel that if Kal-El loses this fight, everyone's at risk. And I just think that he – I think he did a great job, and I think it works really well for this movie. Yeah, it's a tough watch the first time. I mean, I feel like it actually is a tough watch every time the first – when I watch the Metropolis battle and everything. It's it's, it's hard to see, Um, but but that's what creates – turns Superman and Kal-El in the film into such a huge hero is he saves the world from when you actually see what could happen if beings like this did exist. Yeah. I think that's what makes him a bigger hero. And – um. The Smallville battle, I think, is incredible because, again, I've never seen action like that. I've never yeah. seen like a superhero action like that in terms of not just the power and the, but the speed and the agility and like the being in one place and being in another. Like when when Zod's 
um, like lead soldier, the the female soldier, when she takes on all the army guys, yeah, and, like just hitting them like a pinball and like a pinball machine. It's insane. It's incredible. Like it's accurate to what it'd be like. And I loved when it's the three of them fighting her, Kal El, and the big Kryptonian, like going at it. It's incredible. Mm. I never seen anything like it. And Zach did like a lot of long takes, like a lot of shots that were like five seconds long. He's not shaking the camera around. He's not doing a bunch of cuts, and he's showing the destructive force they have on everything. And I like all the product branding in this scene. You see, like, the Sears banner. I hop again. I hop again. You see the U-Haul. You see a lot of brands, and I think It feels that, like America. Yeah, that's— Small town. So I, I don't think that it was so much that they're trying to get money from these brands as— they were trying to make it feel like it's a town that everyone has seen. Like, you always see U-Haul, you know? Back then, Sears was still a major store around America, and so it really made it feel like it wasn't just a movie set— it felt like a real place with all these brand names. Yeah, I think Nikon was the big product place. Yeah, Nikon like, was it. They, yeah. Nikon got a couple good shots of yeah. that camera with Lois Lane and the ship and in, in Alaska or in Canada and everything. Still didn't help with their sales. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I actually I like the destructive force of this film. Uh, the Avengers movies they're awesome, but the, it, there's a point where it's like. Is anyone going to die? Yeah, because in the first Avengers movie, no citizen gets killed, which, I mean, obviously they're not going to kill anyone in a Marvel movie. That's yeah. kind of what they don't – they don't do that. That's what it is. But I think that's what's what I like most about DC. Is, it's not that I like watching people die. It's just the stakes are risen, and it's more emotional. And also in a contrast with Marvel, you know, you actually – I know sometimes they kill their villains, but in this movie, like, they straight up just murk the Zod, murk Zod, and a lot of people – there was a lot of backlash about the neck snapping scene. And I, for one, think it was great. You know, it's really mature element to put in a, a superhero film. I think it suits the trajectory of the story. It suits the character of Zod. He he really did leave Kal-El no choice at all. He kept saying, either you're going to die or I'm going to die. And if I win, I'm going to enslave everyone. And I'm going to kill each and every one of them. And I think that how they set it up, really, that was a good payoff. And when he snapped his neck the first time I saw I was so shocked mm -hmm. and but I thought it was great to put in the movie. I, I so many people tore this film apart about killing Zod and snapping his neck. But these are the same kind of people like uh, they don't understand like the old movies Superman killed people in the old movies. He killed Zod's part his Zod's crew like literally literally killed them. He killed Zod. Yeah, he, and he, um and then Batman they say the same thing about Batman. Oh, Batman never kills. He kills in the Tim Burton movies. He kills plenty of bad guys. So, But what they do is they do a lot of the kills off screen. Like in Superman 2, he takes one of, Z one of Zod's people, one of the guy, and he, he throws him into like this the abyss of like some hole. And he dies in there. And same thing with Batman. He like straps grenades to a bad guy and throws him into a garbage chute, and that guy blows up. Like You don't see him you dying. You don't think he survived? <laughs> <laughs> but they, these heroes killed in the older movies, and I think a lot of people don't, didn't realize that when they watched this film. The difference is it's more graphic because you're seeing it happen, and it's a neck snap, which is pretty insane. So I think people, again, when they walk into these movies, they don't want to see anything too mature and too tough. But I'm like, yo, this, I think it's great to put that into a superhero movie. Fits the character. It yeah. fits General Zod in this film. You know, he says, I'm never going to stop. Never. That's his last yeah. line. So Cal has no choice to either choose humanity or choose him. The world you know. ain't sunshine and rainbows, bro. And I know what you're thinking. How does Cal L groom himself if he's a superhero? If he's from Krypton, laser vision? Nope. 
He uses the Lawnmower 4.0 Groomer from Manscaped.com. And starting today, Manscaped.com is doing 25% off their entire website for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. This runs for an entire week. Still be sure to use our coupon code at checkout, Raiders of the Lost, to get free shipping. But this week is the perfect opportunity to get those holiday gifts for the men in your life, for the things they'll actually use. 25% off is insane. So definitely take advantage of this Black Friday and Cyber Monday deal on Manscaped.com. And don't forget our coupon code, Raiders of the Lost, at checkout to get free shipping in addition to 25% off. Manscaped also just launched some brand new products this month, including their 2-in-1 shampoo conditioner and their body wash, which smell so good. I've been using this in the shower. Getting nice and clean and sudsy and bubbly. It's fantastic. It's the holiday season. You got a manual life. This is stuff that we actually use. I swear he'd love it. Now, for all you screenwriters or those of you interested in getting into screenwriting, I have a very special offer to you from Arc Studio Pro, the most efficient, streamlined, and elegant screenwriting software on the market. They're taking $30 off their membership if you use our special link, arcstudiopro.com slash raiders. ArcStudio Pro software provides users with perfect formatting when writing a script. They have amazing features like the plot board, which allows you to easily organize plot points and acts with this amazing drag-and-drop system. They have tons of perks for your phone or your desktop computer, including online collaboration with co-writers, super helpful outlining tools, revisionist management, and even links to feedback. I use ArcStudio Pro every day with my screenwriting needs. They make sure that my script looks correct and that the formatting is perfect which is vital when you're writing a screenplay again head on over to arcstudiopro.com slash raiders to get $30 off your software I really love the shift in this film of the governments of the world in America and the military treating Kal-El like an alien and treating Clark like an alien and wanting to and calling him an enemy and shooting at him like in the Smallville scene and then they see like individually one by one how heroic he actually is and he saves them and you know the colonel says that he's not our enemy and i just think it's great to see that humanity starts to accept superman for who he is as a as a human in a way or, or an earthly or kryptonian living on on their planet yeah and i really love um what's his name the the colonel which one um from law and order uh colonel hardy What's the actor's name? Christopher Maloney. Christopher Maloney. He's an awesome actor. Obviously, he, most of his time is taken up with Law and Order, but I think he's really excellent in the small role that he has. I, I love the he's he's like a soldier who will never stop. He'll never stop fighting, and he'll fight to his last last breath. Like when he shoots every bullet he can at the Kryptonian woman over and over again. Farah Yui. Yeah, I get Farah Ul. Farah Ul. Farah Ul. Farah. Just I'm just gonna say Farah. <laughs> and then he runs out of bullets and then he's like whatever I'm gonna pull up my knife like he still doesn't give up and I think it's great that he that man ends up respecting Kal-El by the end of that fight like Kal-El even earns his respect out as a warrior yeah he's kind of like General Zod in a way he's yeah like he, that's what he's bred to do is to exactly. be a fighter and everything and also with that character with the colonel like when Lois Lane first shows up at the at the ship site she puts out her hand to shake his hand and he doesn't He's like, don't touch me. Like, you're he, a day early. Yeah, yeah he, he has no respect for her. But yet, when the Kryptonians first show up and they asked Lois Lane to come with them, he's like, yo, you're not taking her. You're not taking one of her own. Mm-hmm. So he has – I like the, the character development of just this minor character like that. It's really cool. Yeah, for sure. That's actually a great thing to point out. And I also love – Perry's awesome in this movie, and we see 
in the destruction of Metropolis, we see the heroism of just everyday normal people with Perry and his other employee trying to save the girl inside the rubble who works with them too, the intern. And it's it's really incredible to see that they're sacrificing their chance to get away from the destruction to try to save her, which they end up can't aren't able to do, but they're gonna die trying, which is incredibly honorable. That sequence it, it's so it's it, so reminiscent of 9-11. Mm-hmm. Like all the ash everywhere. They're covered in ash. You can barely even see more than 20 feet in the distance and like this giant cloud of just dust from all these buildings being destroyed. I think it was really disturbing and made you feel like the day you saw 9-11 happen. I think that's why it was so affecting for people. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of how indestructible these Kryptonians are, obviously, like we were just saying, the battles really illustrate that. But I love the first time we see how indestructible Kal-El is on the oil rig and they they sh- they show the trapped oil riggers inside of that room and then Kal-El rips the door open and he's just covered in flames like it's not even showing his strength showing that even flames aren't doing anything even to his hair showing how indestructible he is i thought that was a great way to first illustrate that for kryptonians That's such a great song too yeah. oil rig on oh, that oh man album. i love that jacks you up and when he jumps out and he's like i'm gonna he stops the tower from falling Oh, man, it's great. I love it. Something that I love about the battle sequence in Metropolis is how they tied it into Bruce Wayne's motivation in Batman yeah, vs. Yeah, Superman yeah. for yeah. wanting to take Superman out and try to make him pay for everything he's done. Because from Bruce Wayne's perspective, he sees the destruction of these super powerful beings and what they've done to this city and what they're done capable to, their, of. to yeah. this country and this planet and to humanity and how they could easily just, if they wanted to, take over the entire planet with a blink of an eye. If they got an, if they had a bad day, you know. Yeah, I, I, I got behind Bruce Wayne's motivation for sure for wanting to take down Superman. I just wish they did a solo film with that instead. Yeah, I think they, if they did, had done a solo Batman film, they and- did a solo Batman movie. And and then Winter Woman had her solo fe- solo film, and then we have the team up. I mean, why why be so speedy? Yeah, I, I just think I was not. I'm still not a big fan of Batman vs Superman. I wasn't really. I didn't love it. I like it. I, I know you. Like I like it. that movie. It's pretty the, good. The director's cut is better than the original. Okay, maybe I, maybe I recommend we'll have to watch it. Well, we should check out the director's cut. We should do an episode on it at some point. Uh-huh. But I, I recommend it. It's a lot better. All right, I'll give it. A, I'll give it a chance. It's it's like almost not the equivalent of like the Snyder cut versus Joss Whedon's POS, but like it's kind of <laughs> it's it's a little bit different in in good ways. Okay, gotcha. I just I really wanted solo Superman movies, and that never happened. I wanted solo Batman Ben Affleck, man. I wanted solo for both my guys. That would have been great. Oh man, it would have been epic. <laughs> but I, I, this is like I can't think of another movie that terraforming was the villain's main idea before this. I can't. Hmm. I think this might have been the first movie to do that. Hans Gruber and Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, terraforming. I think they, it was a great uh, motivation. And Elon Musk. That's Elon his, Musk. That's his well. <laughs> if you think about it, um, Jor El is kind of like Elon Musk in Krypton. Like he wants to like expand to the stars. Yeah. And they're like, no, we're staying here. So that they're the uh, the Elon Jeff Bezos type figures. But I think the terraforming <laughs> was a great conflict for this film. Yeah, and I love when when Kal El goes to has to destroy the uh, the, the the engine yeah. on the other side of the world in the South Indian Ocean, and how despite the fact that he might die doing this, because when he's he's going to be weaker around this Kryptonian creating environment. He still takes it out, and I love the sequence with Hans Zimmer's music when he's inside oh, the beam, and he flies through the beam, takes it out, and then gets gets strengthened up by the sun again, then he shows up to save the day. I love every time he drinks in the sun. It's great. 
and great cinematography. Like he throws his hand up and it's blocking the sun. You just see the the rays of sun pouring through his fingers. And mm-hmm. I love when he's in space when he it breaks out of that ship and then strike that panel. Strike that panel. <laughs> <laughs> great, great impression. And then he's just slowly turning towards the sun. I just I love every one of those moments. Well, that's the Jesus Christ shot when yeah. he floats outside of the spaceship with his arms out. Exactly. So obviously, that's a blatant yeah. symbol of that. And some some of these shots of Kal-El flying are just still remarkable. Like I love that first sequence where he's flying through different like he i think he, he seems to be in antarctica where his ship is and then he flies through south through africa i think is where he's flying yeah. through i love that entire sequence and just the way he filmed it like with these close-ups of of henry cavill like laughing and smiling he like you can see how much fun he's having flying it's like it really felt like you were flying there with him it yeah. was really fantastic and i love when he breaks like the sound barrier yeah for the first yeah time. and you see the the sonic boom it's so cool yeah it's, it's pretty incredible I, I love all the flying sequences he just knocked it out of the park in terms of portraying that and henry cavill just his performance is awesome too i love it yeah and so i love how cal decides to choose humanity he chooses to save lois he chooses to save all of them and he chooses humanity over the kryptonians when he goes into zod's ship and zod tells him if you do this if you destroy this ship you destroy krypton and he takes out the ship krypton had its chance now it's time for humanity to live and have a chance at, at life and prospering and if you want a chance to get 10 percent off your movie posters <laughs> <laughs> you got to head over to movieposters.com and use our special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order. They have a giant selection of movies, every film you can think of, all sorts of sizes, framing, backlighting. Movieposters.com is the place to get your posters. Again, use our promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your posters today. And there's a ton of great Easter eggs in this film. Obviously, the LexCorp stuff, like the, the yeah. truck and like some other stuff. Bruce, the Wayne satellite. The Wayne Enterprise yeah. satellite, for sure. So there's there's a ton more that you can dive into and explore. But I, uh, I, In the battle with Zod in, in Kal-El, I really love it. It's so cool. It is The Matrix Revolutions, the battle between Agent Smith and Neo was just epic. It's and, pretty cool. But I feel like the, the CGI wasn't quite there yet. Plus, there, it's at night. Yes. Yeah, so that's why they did it at night, because the CGI wouldn't have looked great for during the day. Where so that was like 2003. 2004, yeah. That was a long time ago. Yeah, a while ago. But it did look great, but that's because it was so dark. But Zack Snyder really pulled off another epic fight like that. It's like the potential of like if a Dragon Ball Z fight happened. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just think them flying through the city, destroying these buildings, just seeing the impact they have on the world, uh, and then Zod gaining his senses and honing himself. And he, it, what's so cool is it took Kal-El his entire life to learn to be able to fly, but Zod learns how to fly within a matter of minutes. That's how the contrast between their characters, a man who was bred to be a warrior and a man who was just born to be a man, you know, a person, you know what I mean? I love the contrast between their abilities and how quickly they get them. Yeah, and like how he gets the laser eyes, which is insane. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. But Zod is a terrifying figure. That's why he's such a great villain, because you kind of don't know who's going to win at the end of this fight, because he seems to be more powerful than, than Kal-El, but eventually Kal-El gets the upper hand on him and takes him out and takes him into that building and gets him in the in the. He headlock. can't beat any of these L's, man. Jor-El <laughs> messes him up in the opening. That's what I like about yeah. that, too, is Jor-El like, takes his... Beat the crap out yeah, of him. He stood no chance against him. He's I wouldn't want to fight Russell Crowe. Yeah, me neither. He's a big guy. He owns a rugby team. He's a tough dude. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a farmer, too. I love the ending of this movie, too. You know, it gives me goosebumps when, you know, he takes out that drone. It's really funny. He talks to the general again. And then um, 
and then he becomes the reporter at the Daily Planet. It's it's really it's cool, you know. The themes gets going. Uh, what are you gonna do when you're not saving the world? That theme by Hans, and then he gets to the Daily Planet, and Lois is there, and everything. Puts on his glasses. Puts on the glasses. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's really funny, and I love how she's like, "Welcome to the planet." He's like, "Thank you." And the, I love Happy the, to be here. The movie ends on a shot of him smiling, and it's just, and then it cuts to black, and you're like, "Oh man, that was so awesome." Yeah. It's great. It, great it's ending. Great, great, great ending. Great film. Borderline masterpiece. It's just like, it's a shame we'll never get to see Henry Cavill as Superman again. And you know what? It's a damn shame that people hate on this movie so much because yeah. it's so good. Yeah, we love it's this so, film. So, so good. It's really great. How about we do some fun facts? Well, hold on. Who's your MVP? Oh, my MVP? Uh, Zack Snyder. Yeah, I'd say Zack Snyder, too. I mean, it's it's an incredible film that he directed. It's, it's sensational. Best actor? Um, best actor in the movie? Uh, I'm giving it to Michael Shannon. Great pick. I'm I mean, giving it to Russell Crowe. Give it a ten, but I mean Henry Cavill was perfect. Who? What is your favorite shot? It's really hard to pick. Like I love so many of them. Like when he has his fist on the ground for yeah. the first time, the pebbles are moving and stuff like that. But I also love, love, love the shot where the Superman and Lois in the military are waiting for yeah. the Kryptonians to come, and Zach gets this like helicopter shot of the entire uh, set like whizzing by, and you see just. Lois walking back towards mm-hmm. the military personnel yeah. while while Kal-El is standing waiting for the Kryptonians. It's an yeah. incredible shot, but like it's it's almost impossible to pick a favorite shot in this movie. I think my favorite one might be when they flash back to when Martha tells him that his her, that his father always knew the yeah. man he could have been, and it flashes back to Kal-El as a little kid playing with a dog in the yard, and there's just the sun setting behind him, and he's wearing the red um, towel as a cape. And then he just puts his hands at his side like a, in a superhero yeah. pose. I get emotional just and thinking yeah, about this, that. Yeah, goosebumps. And the sun is behind him. Really beautiful film. Great cinematography. Yeah. I think that's my favorite that shot. That was big in the marketing of yeah. the film, like the teases and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah, so that, good. That's one of my favorites for sure. I and, love that yeah. shot. And I love, I really like when Cal steps out of his ship for the first time wearing a suit. That's a good shot. Oh, that's so epic. The silhouette. Yeah it's, yeah, it's like the wide shots of yeah. him and the sun behind him. It's 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 incredible. Yeah. And that, that scene in general, like he takes the advice from his father, like mm-hmm. let the sun nourish you. And you can only know how powerful you are by like testing your limits. Just keep pushing yeah. to learn how to fly and all do, do all this cool stuff. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do some trivia. All right. Henry Cavill refused to take steroids to muscle up for the role. He also refused any digital touch-ups or enhancement to his body in his shirtless scenes. He said it would have been dis- <clears throat> He said it would have been dishonest of him to use trickery while playing Superman, and he wanted to push his body to the limits to develop his physique into one that was worthy of the character. In a flashback scene in which Clark Kent is being bullied, he is seen reading The Republic by Plato. In The Republic, Plato describes the perfect society, which mirrors the makeup of Kryptonian society as given in the film Man of Steel. Most obviously, both societies have preordained births in which people are born into roles such as leaders, warriors, or farmers. Henry Cavill naturally has a hairy chest and left it untouched for the shoot of Man of Steel. He insisted that Superman should have chest hair in this film, And he rejected the notion that just because you are muscular, you should not have chest hair. And he also cited Superman comic book, The Death of Superman, as being an iconic representation in which Superman had a hairy chest. Normalized chest hair. Let's go. like it. Henry Cavill said that the most difficult part of making the movie was definitely his two shirtless scenes. He had been training for months prior to filming, but for his shirtless scenes, 
He went on an extremely difficult diet and training regimen in which his caloric intake was cut from 5,000 calories a day to nearly 1,500 calories a day for six weeks. After those six weeks, he reached a body fat level of just 7%, the level achieved by professional bodybuilders during competitions. Henry Cavill said he did this because he wanted to make his abs pronounced and his muscles as defined as humanly possible to create the best possible Superman physique he could. Cavill returned to a more manageable routine after the scenes were shot but felt his effort was rewarded when audiences and critics alike praised his physique. After he had shot his shirtless scenes, director Zack Snyder gave him a tub full of ice cream and pizza as a, a re, as a reward for his, his Hercule, Herculean effort for his shirtless scenes. Can you imagine going from 5,000 calories a day for six months to then 1,500? For a man that size. For two. six weeks? He's probably like, he was he's probably like, like 230. One. He's probably 6'1", like yeah. He's but 230, huge. you need to have, he needs to eat 3,500 3, calories to just stay balanced without even working out. You know, so he's just basically starving himself almost. That's tough. Gal Gadot was originally cast as Feyora, the Kryptonian, but had to drop out due to her pregnancy, and Anjay Trow was cast in her place. Gal would later be chosen to play Diana Prince, a.k.a. Wonder Woman, in Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice in 2016, and in the subsequent Wonder Woman in 2017 and Justice League. Wow, I wonder if it would have been reversed if she got the part of Farrah. Who knows? Yeah, crazy. Ben Affleck actually turned down directing... Man of Steel because he wasn't experienced in visual effects shots. According to him, a lesson I've learned is not to look at movies based on budget, how much they'll spend on effects, or where they'll sh- or where they will shoot. Story is what's important. He then appeared as Batman in Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice. All right, that wraps our episode on Man of Steel. We really hope you enjoyed this film as much as we do and had a blast listening or watching to this episode on it. We were so excited to finally do it. Take care, everyone. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of Lost Podcast. And make sure to sign up for the online masterclass if you're interested in starting a podcast at podcastmasterclass.teachable.com. Bye, y'all. Thanks so much for tuning in to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Be sure to subscribe. If you're new, hit the like button, leave a comment. Find us on all audio streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us. Find us on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Be sure to check out one of these other videos right here for more content on our favorite films and breaking down all kinds of movie content. Thanks so much.